David Watson was a curate in York at a ch church called St. Cuthbert's. Um, they only had 11 members, and the church was given a year to survive. Um, but under God, Watson grew that church, and over seven years it grew so large, they had to move into new premises, bigger premises, St. Michael Le Belfry. And hundreds, literally, were coming every Sunday to worship there. And they still are. And although Watson's been dead for 30 years, it's a testimony to that ministry that God has honoured it and continued to honour it. When Watson left St. Michael of Belfry, he got a national and international ministry, and he did a lot of work working amongst teams. And an awful lot of his time he spent going through all sorts of trials and tribulations in terms of working together with other Christians to form effective teams. And all that work was dis, uh, dis disseminated in, into this book, Discipleship by David Watson. And I'm going to quote a bit from it later, um, but it's, it's a good book to get hold of. But Watson wrote that book, which is in many, by, by many regarded as a classic on the whole question of discipleship. And Watson quotes a guy called Bonhoeffer right at the beginning. And Bonhoeffer was a German during the Second World War. And he stood resolutely against the Nazis. He was a Lutheran minister, and he was one of the very few Christian leaders who actually stood against the Nazis. Most of the Christian leaders thought that Hitler was a good chap. How? I don't know, but they did. Um, and Bonhoeffer resolutely stood against the Nazis. Um, and in the end, he was put in a concentration camp, and he was martyred. And Bonhoeffer's also written a book on discipleship, which is well, well regarded. And he's, quoted, he's got lots of quite um, interesting things to say, some of which are quite outlandish, some of which are, are right on the ball. Um, and Watson quotes Bonhoeffer right at the beginning of his book. And he says this, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Watson says, In this startling statement... We have the essence of the radical, uncompromising nature of true Christian discipleship. And one of the things we're looking at this year is this whole question of discipleship. And according to Watson and Bonhoeffer, it starts when we come to Jesus to die. Augustine, who probably was one of the greatest brains um, and theologians the church has ever produced and is, is well regarded in both Protestant and Catholic uh, traditions, um, prayed this prayer, let me die, lest I die, only let me see your face, let me die, lest I die. He recognised that he had a choice, he could either live his own selfish life and lose his relationship with God, or that could die, and the life of God could be allowed to live. Matthew, says, Matthew said, as we read, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I guess the first question we have to ask ourselves is, whose life do we want to live? Is it our life or is it the Lord's life? Remember Paul said in, uh, Corinthian, in um, Galatians, for me to live is Christ. And that's the challenge that is laid down here. 
uh, Watson quotes a young Christian and an older Christian having a discussion, and the young Christian says to the older Christian, what does it mean for a Christian to be crucified? How, how do I die? And the older Christian thought for a bit, and he said, well, I can think of three things about a man who is being crucified. In the first place, he's only facing one direction. He's not looking back. He's left his old life. He's now not looking back. He's said goodbye to the world. He's on the cross. He's not going anywhere. So he's not going back. And he has no further plans of his own because he's on a cross. He's totally in God's hands. And in that situation, all he can do is say, yes, Lord, to what the Lord wants. And so that's the sort of background to, to what I want to talk about and, and what Romans 6 is talking about. But it is a difficult passage, and I'll try and make it a bit simpler. Um, it got a bit complicated in the first service, but never mind. Um, in the first five chapters of Romans, Paul has been establishing that because of the sin of mankind, judgment and salvation are inevitable consequences because of God's righteousness and God's love. Because of God's righteousness, judgment must come. But because of God's love, salvation is possible and was achieved. And that was, that, that was achieved through God having to give up his own son as an atoning sacrifice on each of our behalves. So he died in my place. And then in chapter 5, we get the contrast between us as we were in Adam, in sin, and us as we are in Christ, in righteousness. And so we've got that contrast in chapter 5. We're either in Adam, or we've been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And we can't be in both. We're either in one or the other. And then he ends um, in chapter 5 um, by saying that sin reigned in death, but grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what he's been saying is that because of sin, God's grace has to come and deal with that sin. And because of that grace, being able to overcome sin, God receives glory. And if you sort of work it through, the bigger the sin, the more grace is required, the more glory God gets. And so what people were arguing, and some still argue today, is, well, in that case, if the more we sin, the more grace comes, the more glory God gets, then surely we should sin more so that there will be more grace and God will get more glory. And sin, therefore, is, not, is no big deal. In fact, it's an advantage to God. And Paul says, rubbish. And there are two reasons for that. One is God's character. Habakkuk says that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. But also, who you are and what you are. And that's what Paul is concentrating on here. Who you are and what you are. And really the challenge is, do we understand what we are in Christ? Now this is where it gets tricky. So you'll have to sort of try and uh, see us. We'll see how we get on anyway. In the next eight verses of Romans, chapter 6, Paul says the same thing about six times in a slightly different way. 
Now, if he's saying something six times in a slightly different way, you can guarantee he wants to make a point and he wants to make it seriously and he wants us to take it on board. But it's difficult to get hold of the point he's making because what he's saying is, as a believer, you are dead. And you are dead to sin. He says that we are in Christ, we've been baptized into Christ, we're incorporated into Christ's death. And he even says, not only are we dead in Christ, we're actually buried. He says, you're dead and buried. And then in verse 6, he says, your old man was crucified. Now, you hear people talking about, we need to crucify our old man. Well, you can't, because he's already been crucified. And so what Paul is saying is, try to get hold of what God has actually done for you in Jesus. Whereas before you were in Adam, now you're taken out of that realm and placed in a new realm, and you are dead to that. That's dead, that's gone, that's forgotten. And so he says again in verse 6, for we know, and again, he keeps saying, we know, we understand these things. He, he expects us to, to, to work this out and know this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, the danger here is you, we, we could get into a situation where you think, well, is Paul saying that the body in and of itself is evil, which is the old Gnostic heresy? No, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that sin uses the body in order to dis destroy God's work in us. Um, in, a, in a book that I've got by a guy called Graham, um, Philip Graham Riken on the message of salvation, he says, sin has a way of gaining mastery over our bodies, using them to commit unrighteous deeds. But because we're dead, the general principle here is that dead men cannot be slaves. Their enslavement ceases at death. If we've died to sin, therefore we can't live as if we're under its bondage. Either we are still in our old Adam state, or we are new creations in Christ. And we need to be clear where we are. Because if we think that we're still in Adam, then we'll live as if we're still in Adam. And the same things that entertained us and we did before we were believers, we will still do afterwards because we've not changed. But what Paul is saying, we are dead to those things, therefore we should have no interest in them. We are now born again, new creations. In America, after emancipation, there were lots of slaves who continued to live in slavery for years and years and years after emancipation. There were a number of reasons for that. One is they hadn't really fully understood what happened to them. Some just didn't know about emancipation because the um, slave owners weren't going to tell them. Some didn't believe it and some were afraid And others just didn't appreciate what it all meant. And we can be in exactly the same position. 
we've been released from our old life, from the old pools of Satan, into a new relationship. But if we don't understand it, if we haven't worked it out, if we don't know what it's all about, we'll still live as if we're under the old. And we will be, if we will be defeated in our Christian living. And Paul, what Paul is trying to, trying to get over in this whole passage in um, Romans is that we've died to that old realm. And he keeps saying, we know this, knowing this. He's saying to us, work it out. So having established that we're dead in Christ, he then says this, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We are new creations. Now, do we live as if we are new creations? Or do we live as if we're actually perhaps renovated old creations, if you like? Do we live very much the same as we ever did, or we always did, and other people do? Or is our lifestyle totally different? Are we an old creation or a new creation? How does it affect our daily living? He, then, he also says we're united in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, we will re be resurrected in glory, but he's also talking about now. Because we have life in the spirit. We have God's spirit within us. We are now in Christ. Christ is in us. We have this relationship with God, this dynamic relationship, which should affect the whole of our living. I just quote something from John Stott from this Riken book. John Stott compares the Christian's life, both old and new, to a two-volume biography. Our biography is written in two volumes. Volume one is the story of the old man, the old self, of me before my conversion. Volume two is the story of the new man, the new self, of me after I was made a new creation in Christ. Volume one of my biography ended with the judicial death of the old self. I was a sinner. I deserved to die. I did die. I received my deserts in my substitute with whom I've become one. Volume two of my biography opened with my resurrection. My old life having finished, a new life to God has begun. Now, is that our experience? I have a new life with God. As Paul puts it elsewhere, old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. Because that should be the reality in this new life that we have. In verses 9 and 10, um, Paul says this. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. But then he says this in the next verse. In the same way, you also. So what happened to Christ that should have happened and should be happening to us? Well, Christ was in glory, but he became a man. He was born of a woman, born under the law. He was subject to all of the same temptations and pressures that we're subject to. And he is now in Satan's kingdom. He's in this world. Remember, in the, in the um, wilderness, Satan 
used every device to try and trip him up. And it says that he, elsewhere that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So, so he is in the same position as us. He's in this world, he's under Satan, he's admittedly in a slightly different way, but, but, but in general terms he's in the same position as us. And then he's die, he dies and he's raised again, he's taken out of that realm and placed in a totally new realm. He's now in the realm of God. He's now in the realm of glory. He's out of that, he's in this. And Paul says, Paul says likewise you, you're not in this world anymore. You might live here, but your citizenship is in heaven. That's where you live. That's where you should be looking. That's where your focus should be. And the question is, where is our focus? Which, which area is that, is that focus in? So um, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And it's a term, it's, a, it's an accountancy term. It's the term that God used of Abraham. When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, God had been saying for ages, I'm going to give you a son. And I should think they probably were getting a bit sort of fed up with God keeps saying that and nothing ever happening. And then uh, when he's 100 uh, and 90, God comes along again and says, you'll have a son next year. And it says, Abraham, in hope, against hope, believed and God counted it as righteousness. And it's the same phrase. And what God, um, so what Paul is saying is, is now, we're to count ourselves, we're to reckon ourselves, we're to believe ourselves out of this realm of sin. No longer subject to sin, we're now in a new realm, in a new realm of life. So what's true of Christ is true of you. He was taken from this sphere and taken to the sphere of glory and we are also taken from this sphere and our citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. So we're to know and to believe what we are and to live in the light of that. But so often we live as if we're no different to everybody else. And then in uh, verse 12... Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin. Why would you want to let sin reign when it's got no place there? You're not in that realm anymore. You're in a different realm. So why live as if you're in that realm? point that uh, Lloyd-Jones and um, Watson both make is a Christian who sins is a fool because the only person he's hurting is himself, because he loses his relationship with God. That close relationship is broken once we start playing fast and loose. So don't let sin get the mastery. You don't need to, because you're a new person in a new realm. You have a new spirit, and you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Word of God. Peter says we've got all things that pertain to life and godliness. So don't let sin get the mastery and don't present your members. Our members, our hands, our feet, our minds, our hearts, our instincts, all these things that we have, which we, we're free to use and they're good, all good, God, God-given good gifts. 
but they can all be used for wrong things. And so Paul says, don't present your members. Don't offer your members up to Satan and to sin and to the world and to all the things that we find so attractive, but offer them to God. And then in verse 14, demonstrate not sin, but God's grace. Demonstrate not sin, but God's grace. In Romans 8, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's something we have to do. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, people sometimes say, well, I, I'm, I'm what I am. I, you know, I can't change you. You'll have to accept me as I am. But as a believer, that is not option. that's not an option. We are new creations. We are different people. We've got to live like that. And we have the power of the Spirit to mortify those deeds of the body that bring offense. So we can change. Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Grace teaches us to say no. And it doesn't just teach us to say no, it actually gives us the power to say no if we want that power. So that if we're sinning, it's not because we need to, it's because we want to. I'm just going to finish with a quotation or a bit of, bit of Watson, if I can find it. Once we become in Christ, by virtue of Christ's obedience unto death, we enter the kingdom of God where grace reigns. We have now passed from death into life. We no longer belong to that old life. We are now dead to it. By accepting the cross of Christ as the only means by which we can come from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God, we fully identify ourselves with the crucified one, which means that we have died with him. And insofar as we have died with him, we've also died to the old world of sin and self. This should no longer have any part in us. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Although in Christ we're now in the kingdom of God where grace reigns, and in that sense we are freed from the authority of sin and Satan over our lives, the spiritual battle is nevertheless very strong and powerful until that day comes when Christ will put all enemies under his feet. We are free in Christ, yes, but we are free to fight. The writers of the Hebrews exhorted his readers not to give up this constant battle against the forces of evil. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The Christian is certainly in the realm of grace and has died once for all to the realm of sin. Paul therefore repeatedly exhorted his readers, become what you are. So Paul says, work it out 
understand what, what Christ has actually done, what the Spirit's doing in you, what you actually are, where you now are, and live in the light of that. 